1: You'll find us here, moving
0: iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Higher Podcast number two ninety six. This edition of Moving Higher Podcast is brought to you by Randall Riley and I have Prescott Scheibels. I said that right, right? That's right. All right, right on. And Prescott is the general manager of the Asset Intelligence divisions of Randall Riley, and he has been. Uh, he's nice enough to come on to talk about what's happening there. Randall Riley creates better relationships, better insights, and better results with their products. And I have uh, worked with Prescott here in the past. I'm on a dealer advisory board with him and, and some other stuff. And uh, we have some pretty good conversations when we're together. So, Prescott, thanks for being on the podcast, man.
1: Thanks for having me, Casey. Appreciate it very much. Uh, really enjoy the community that you built here and uh, love love talking dealer shop. So i'm yep, excited to too. get into it and uh uh i always love your take on data you've always got a really really um amazing way of looking at things and uh, i learn a lot every time we talk
0: well, i appreciate that man so so let's jump into manson it's a weird time right now especially when you're trying to use a crystal ball to figure out what's going on you know half the time it's so glad you can't use it anyway and right now i think it's a black gelatinous mud that you definitely can't see what's going on in the marketplace we've got Delays out there, and what that looks like. We've got, you know, price increases. We've got canceled orders. We've got delayed orders. You know, we're looking at new orders showing up nine months to a year out, even further, and depending on what it is and and the manufacturing, those kind of things. So, I guess Prescott, when you guys are looking at the EDA data that comes through with that stuff, let's start with that first. Let's, Let's talk about EDA data for a minute. So, when you're looking at EDA data right now, and the amount of stuff that's getting booked outside of someone's normal roles, you know, trade cycle and those kind of things. So that's one thing great about EDA data is it's very easy to have that conversation with a customer. And it's just like it looks like every three years you're trading your equipment. Every five years you're trading equipment and you can start targeting those things. But right now if there were you know two or three or four years was their normal trade cycle, it might be out five or six years now just because of the way things have landed and those kind of things and the skew that you see there. How you having that conversation with with your customers, and and how how much has that affected the data that you see out there right now?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, I think a couple of key things. One, um, hmm. seeing different patterns for different kinds of buyers, right. So uh, one of the things we looked at um, at, at your conference uh, was combine stuff, and and seeing that, hey, you know the the under five year stuff was was performing similar to new you know down 15 and the older stuff was performing um similar but the five to nine year old stuff was was not selling nearly as much uh had about a 32 percent year over year decline and it's been in decline for since last september yeah so i think you're seeing certain cohorts of buyers opting out of the, the prices that are that are out there right now and based on kind of uh, the buyer behavior that, that's going on in that market, you know, folks that have really good balance sheets want to keep the younger equipment and keep their operating costs down and folks that that don't really don't want to make um, bad investments at the top of a, a used equipment market. Yeah, The same way that, it, that dealers are, are kind of worried about it. Um, so I think a lot of what we're really lo- working towards is trying to help Customers, uh, our client success department does a great job of really taking that data and trying to bring some analytics behind it and tell the story. Here's what's yeah. moving, here, here are the themes that are changing in your in your market. I was talking to someone in uh a dealer in Tennessee just yesterday about some of the, the really big shifts in his market and you know different strategies that they can deploy uh to get there. Um we just launched a couple of things that I think are interesting on that. Um our predictive model has been out for about a year on that. Um, so when you do have a, a challenging piece of equipment, I think one of the great things that we're able to do is really, you know, bubble up uh, some high quality leads based on on our predictive model, who's likely to buy in the next year. Uh, the second thing is uh, we've introduced all of our brand loyalty stuff. So mm-hmm. what we're seeing is a lot less, and I don't know to what extent you're seeing it in the market, but we're seeing a lot less brand loyalty as people are, Kind of forced to consider um, new suppliers, and that means you know equipment and parts and tires and just about everything else. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, on the customer loyalty side of that, I mean, I think we saw some of that customer loyalty. Um, you know, the internet's made the world a pretty small place, so it's really easy to get a lot of information out pretty quickly, especially when you're you know you get it all on your phone or tablet or whatever it is, and especially if you're sitting in the cab during some planning season or harvest or whatever it is that you got going on there. Um, not that you have downtime when you're in the cab, but just driving itself. So you're kind of monitoring monitors, you know, so kind of paying attention to those things and, and what happens there. I don't want to say customer loyalty has gone away because I don't know that it has gone away, but it you have to work a little bit harder now than you've had in the past to maintain and grow those relationships. Um, especially with a, with a newer generation coming into the farm, you're seeing a lot more folks that are spending a lot of time looking at the the latest and greatest, whatever it is. And, you know, they don't buy the same way that the previous generation did. And I don't want to say it's a disloyal group by any means, because that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that it's just a different buying pattern than, than we've seen in the past two generations that come along with it. You know I mean? They're looking at not so much as a, uh, the dealership that's five miles away, not necessarily because they're five miles away, they're going to do business there. They're going to look at some other options that are out there too. And, and, you know, whether that's on the equipment side or the input side or, or wherever it is, the banking side, whatever it is. I mean, there's a lot of different functionalities that come into play there. And it's just, like I said, more information's available, more responsiveness. Those kind of things are all, are all playing into that customer loyalty factor.
1: You know, We, we just finished a survey of, you know, um, of buyers. Um, and we saw a couple of interesting things, um, relationship with local dealers, still the second most, you know, the price, they, they still cite prices like the, one of the key influences, like 63%, but 56% said, um, relationship with local dealer much more so than the brand. So I think the one core thing that I would say is like, hey, you're kind of more in control of the loyalty factor as a dealer than the than than your OEM is. And I think you know when you think about workforce development, when you think about you know customer service, um, those are the, the the core ways to help shore that up. Um, but we do see, even though some folks are loyal, seventy one percent of of uh, of those respondents said that they considered two or more brands when they're, when they're purchasing. So it's almost three quarters.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's what I'm getting at is that, that it's not that they're not distal. I mean, they're not going to just go out and, and stab you in the back, but they're going to like, hey, you know, trust, but verify type of type of scenario. And I think that's what you're seeing a lot more in the overall marketplace than we've seen in the past. So yeah. when you're looking at, so when you're looking at this data now and and you're trying to compile all these different functions and things that are rolling together, I mean, because with what with what you guys have, you have the iron solution side, which is the you know, the, the ag equipment guidebooks that have been around mm-hmm. forever. And then you got the EDA data, which covers what do you cover farm equipment, trucks, Inst- the truck industry, construction, trucks, Instruction. yeah,
1: machine tools, right. trucks.
0: So how how is this all playing together with that broader spectrum of equipment? I mean, the truck side of it's been it's been worse than I think any any one segment of it the marketplace has been.
1: So. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, if there's one thing I can say, you know, about, um, kind of the the future in the crystal ball is values in trucks have declined, I think about 30% since spring. Um, I've seen that supply chain has not changed. They're still not being, they're still not able to take orders. So what's driving it. It's, it's freight rates, right? You know, Mm -hmm. you can't really justify that. So I think, you know, um, the canary in the coal mine here is going to probably be, you know, commodities prices more than anything else. So, right. um, but I, I do think, uh, there are a lot of lessons to be learned there. Um, we saw some smart dealers really make moves to shut down their, their, uh, inventory acquisition at the right time and kind of burn off some of their stuff quickly. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of folks doing, um, uh, dedicated campaigns for their older equipment so if it goes past 90 days like really moving special you know specialty campaigns facebook feeds or and even just targeting um high volume used buyers um and then um then the interesting thing is after after things stabilized they actually started doing digital campaigns to actually acquire equipment so i think that's kind of the the new world too is like we might be in a world where Trade-ins and dealer-to-dealer are not the only ways that you acquire equipment anymore. Uh, right. You may need to start thinking about diversifying your tactics on that side of things. Yeah,
0: that's a, uh, I've had that conversation a lot, and some people listen to me. Some people are asking questions about it, and other people are... If there's any one thing I'll say about the farm equipment industry is that <coughs> the customers are, are not... Um, afraid to afraid of change as much as people think they are, because um, they're looking to be as profitable as they can be. Right in a marketplace mm-hmm. where you control nothing that goes into your business. Right, you don't control inputs, you don't control right. commodity yeah. prices, you don't control the weather. There's nothing that you can control. Right, all you can control is when you plant it and when you harvest it. That's it. You don't control anything else. You don't control how much water comes out of the sky. You don't control anything. Right. So in most industries there are there's some level of control as to what you can you know some of your input costs some of your labor costs all these different things that come into play you can control those things but you don't control that stuff on on the farming side and i think that looking at you know what we see happening from a technology perspective what we see happening from you know a finance perspective what we see happen from all these different things every one of these customers are looking at a way to make things better at varying levels of change right now. I mean, some people are, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go out and change things just for the sake of changing things. And some are like, yeah, I mean, we've been doing it the same way for a long time and it's worked. We make little tweaks here and there, but for the most part, we do it this way type of thing. And, you know, looking and having these conversations and talking to customers out there using the data that you see. I mean, one technology adoption is at varying levels, but, there's, it's hard to find someone that's farming right now that's not using some kind of guidance, right? Some kind of mm-hmm. GPS guidance, right? I don't, I'm sure there's somebody out there that doesn't use it, but they're like the one in the county that doesn't use it, right? Yeah. You know, so, I mean, if, if you, if you look, if you're looking at the overall perspective and, and what that looks like, how are you looking at technology and the things that are coming down the pike now? And how are you, how are you valuing that? from from a guidebook perspective i mean how are you how are you taking that technology and, and really using it to show that hey you know what this machine is worth x without an x with y because some of that technology the machine's kind of worthless without it
1: yeah so i mean the best way i think we can handle that is through having conversations with you guys so one of the core things that we've really tried to change and i hope i i I, the feedback that I've gotten is that that people are noticing is that we're having more conversations with dealers about the things that are the real mover, uh, needle movers. So um, John Womack has a has a conversation with a dealer uh, that's documented with a standardized set of questions. Um, you know, at least one per week, right? And uh, he has a lot more conversations than that with dealers, but we're asking the same questions to make sure that we're getting. And identifying the themes that that are coming out of it. Um, so identifying the the needle movers on options on technology on any of those core elements are are crucial and critical. Um, then following up with folks who are submitting sold reports without that are getting rejected because they don't have enough specific information on them is another core aspect. So you know a lot of people ask us about you know uh, data collection and one of the hardest you know I mean. One of the hardest things about um, the the guides process, I think is that I don't think anybody realizes how much effort goes into it. So there's a tremendous amount of scrutiny on each and every sold report, and we throw away a fair amount of them if they if they are incomplete. Um, and so the team spends, you know all the time during between you know guide issues or or updates or additions cleaning up the data and making sure that we're only using good and complete data. Um, so it is a huge degree of focus. And I think, you know, when we do, um, when we, so the other thing that we're doing is we actually do kind of comparisons with dealers. So give me everything, you know, uh, run an analysis of everything that you've uh, sold this month. Here's what you sold it for. Here's what our values were. You know, how how close were we to that or not? We're never going to be dead on to everything. Every dealer is going to have a little bit of nuance in the strategy. But I think, but I, I, you know, I have gained a tremendous amount of confidence through seeing repeatedly these kind of uh, bake-offs, so to speak, uh, where we're actually looking at at data in real time towards Mm -hmm. the, the end of the quarter, right? So a lot of people were like, hey, is the data still relevant? You know, towards the end of, of of the of the edition, and we see that, and we see that coming through. Um, the other thing is on, on the uh, on the EDA side of things, we're we're taking that input and starting to uh, bring that back into uh, EDA as well. So certain things on, or making some changes on um, uh, what we're tracking in EDA. Less relevant here, but in the construction space, there's a lot of uh, electrification. Right. Um, so fuel type is, is something that we're pulling in, uh, uh, on that side. And we're looking at a couple of other options based on the feedback that we're, we're getting as well. So yeah. the goal is, you know, back and forth between the two, what are the, what are the real move, move, needle movers that we need to be tracking from a, a behavior standpoint?
0: Yeah. So that that that's, I'm glad you brought that up because it's something that I haven't been paying attention to as much as I should have. Um, it's always kind of back in my mind, but the electrification of equipment. I mean, we're starting to see that came out about five years ago, three years ago. We really started seeing some some people playing in that space and they were, you know, gonna make a 25 horsepower tractor, a 40 horsepower tractor type of thing. Um, and now you're starting to see some of the, the the bigger manufacturers start to get into that electrification state. And a lot of that stuff is, you know, lawnmowers and gators and you know side by side, those kind of things you're starting to see those kind of creep in there. I think we're still quite a ways from battery technology being able to perform a, a, a 600 horsepower style tractor uh, longevity wise. I mean, we have that technology to, to do all that, but it's just, you know, how long can you make the battery last type of thing? I guess when you're, when you're looking at, at that, that spectrum of things, I mean, is there enough data out there to show you that, hey, this is, this is going to happen in the next five to seven years that we're going to see a, a very strong, um, battery operated fleet, or do you, do you think that's still quite a ways away?
1: Well, I, I, I think it's probably more than just, you know, electric, uh, mm-hmm. especially in, um, especially in the ag market. I mean, when, you know, you don't want to end up having a, a diesel generator <laughs> charging your, charging your tractor it kind of defeats the purpose, but, right. Um, I do think, you know, what you're seeing is on the construction side where there there is urban environments there sure. is charging stations and opportunities the technology is is being developed to be able to uh be deployed for other use cases eventually. The other thing is uh in since we're in Randall Riley's in trucking and and ag we we do see some some stuff on that side of things that are pre- that are pretty interesting. Um the Renewable diesel. So not biodiesel, but like renewable diesel. We had a really great presentation from a, a fleet in Oregon who really like did a massive pilot using renewable diesel as a, as a fuel type. And uh, they saw some really incredible uh, fuel efficiency. The, the you know consumption was down and they could use it. Um, I think side by side with regular diesel. Um, so, that's an interesting and exciting time. And I, I think that part of your, your comments about identifying early adopters, like that is one of a, a core use case for EDA, like being able to see who bought something the first year it came out. Okay. Yeah. That's somebody I should really be constantly talking to you about for, for other new, new technologies, uh, new adoptions. Um, yeah. What What do you think? Like, you know, <laughs> Do you see any any migration from a, a tech perspective to something that's, you know, less dependent upon diesel and with all the shenanigans in the in Ukraine at this point, you know, does that accelerate that at all?
0: I think uh, I mean I think any technology that someone can get a hold of, that's gonna be that's gonna create efficiencies and and it's going to cut costs that, that will definitely take a, a hard look at it um you know the ag industry is no different than any other industry you got that 20 percent that's going to go out and be the first one to the gate and they're always going to be on the cutting edge of whatever and if it works great if it doesn't we'll go back to the john board and figure it out um a lot more those are also the same people that are more adverse to um uh, their their risk adversement is way low compared to some of the other folks you know uh, and they're willing to stretch out a little bit more than than some others are on those kind of those, those are the same people that are on that, that, that spectrum. Um, I think the the thing right now uh, that I'm, that's going to drive price, not so much price, but customer buy decisions is, is interest rates. I think you're going to, that's going to be a big deal. I don't, and I don't suspect this inflationary period that we're in, where these higher interest rates are going to be like the eighties where we've got, 10 years of 7% growth every year type of thing, but it's going to be, you know, in the next couple of years, I think are going to be tight. I mean, I think it's going to be a, a thing. And I think one thing that I've, I've thought about is just, you know, here we got stuff, guys trading in two um, and 3% interest rates for five to 7% interest rates. I mean, so there's, there's a, there's a thing that's going to come into play there. The price of equipment, you know, I've, I've written a series of articles called, you know, the lines of delineation I've, I've written though about, you know, the customer buying patterns and where those are. And those lines are starting to be, those lines are pretty blurred. I think 10 years ago where you could see guys jumping in and out and doing different things. Um, but now they're, they're pretty solid just because of the the customer that's that's up that in that bucket. Maybe, um, you know, they've grown the farm to a certain level because they've been, uh, <clears throat> you know, one guy and a hired man type of deal. And they've they haven't expanded anything and they're and they're looking at retirement and those kind of things and no one's coming back. So the idea of, of growing their operation, there was not that motivation to do that type of thing. Um and all the headaches that come along with doing all that. So you're you're starting to see these these folks that are you know you get your new buyer, you got your <clears throat> your one year old buyers, your your two-year-old buyer types and then you know, they kind of funnel into those those varying levels of, of of buying. But I think one of the big things is, and this is where I think what your your data, especially EDA data, and what you guys are doing with the the guys guide, the guidebooks is, I, I think we're going to be trading more components than we are actual machines in, in, the, uh, in the in the in the near future. You know what I mean? I think you're you're looking at with this. Um, you know, add-on technology that you can see, like in planters, you see it on sprayers, you see it on just about everything. But I really think that 2020 through 2023 is a year that we'll look back on and saying, like, that was a platform that made it pretty easy for us to upgrade the technology, not necessarily the machine. And I think the manufacturers are seeing that that their profitability is relatively the same at a low, way lower price point. Um, by just looking at the components of the technology, not necessarily the the entire machine
1: itself. That's super interesting. Um, so is that something that we should be tracking? I mean, it sounds like you're saying, hey, you know, those are things that we should be adding to maybe other equipment in, in the guides book itself in terms of, being able to put out kind of some data around that. And the other question I would have is, are, are you following UCCs on that stuff or not?
0: So, yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff, I mean, like for example, um, I've got a customer um, that, that you know, the the new planner was, I can't remember what it was. It was like 800,000 bucks or 900,000 bucks. And the, to do the upgrade kit on the planner he has now was, was half the price, right? So everything's new except the bar. Right. So mm-hmm. the bar that the, that the rail units attached to. So at the end of the day, what, what are those rail units worth? What's that, what's that residual value of that, of that rail unit? Um, that rail unit was not, uh, they, they were, I think they're maybe 5 So, I mean, they're, they're, they're electric, electric rail units, not a high speed by any means, but they're still electric rail units, which is not the finger pickup, which is not the vacuum pickup. I mean, it's just, it's a, you know, it's a different, different, deal you know so you know what's that residual value look like and how how does that work um i think those residual values now are really low and there's not that customer uptake but in five years when if we do the same thing you know that same deal now you're looking at something that's five-year-old technology that is high-speed planner technology and you've got 54 row units right of this technology um you know my neighbor He's got a 24 row. I got a 24 row. We go together and we buy these row units and we, you know, you take your 24, I take my 24 and here we go. So what's it worth? You know, I think those are going to start that, that conversation is, is uh, probably two to three years away to start really seeing what that looks like. You've seen it on precision planning stuff Mm -hmm. where you've seen a lot of those row units and stuff like that show up in uh, like big iron auctions. You know, you start looking at the various and even just not just necessarily the row units, but just the components of, you know, or the speed tubes or 2020 downforce or whatever it is that, that they're doing, like these different little spectrums are starting to pop up. And and what's that look like? And What's that residual value have? It'll be interesting to watch that because, you know, if you take a, take a spray right now, that's, you know, scene spray type technology and you got the scene spray ultimate, which is the, can tell the difference between, you know, various plants and weeds and those kind of things versus, um, C and spray, I forget what it's even called, but like gen one C and spray. Now you can't just go swapping around and put some software in and boom, now you got ultimate. You have to change some components to make that work. Mm-hmm. So what's the sum of, I mean, I think the sum of those components are worth more than than the sum of the machine is. And because I can keep the sprayer. And if I blow an engine mm-hmm. up in the sprayer and it costs me $600,000 to buy a new sprayer, but I put, you know, a hundred thousand dollar engine and I spend Ten or fifteen thousand dollars on on wheel motors, I'm, I'm back and you know I'm good to go. You know I'm, I'm right back to where I need to be at. And to your point with electrification, I take out that stuff, put in an electric engine, and I'm good to go. You know what I mean? So yep. I think all those things are going to be some components of of how the overall spectrum of, of of used equipment comes into play. Because I don't, I think we're we're five to ten years away from we're going to trade machines every once in a while. And it's going to be part of the thing, but I think more updates are going to be done to the platform than to them. actually just get a new machine, especially when you get to autonomy and fully cabless machines. Then you're just looking at power generation, and and that's really it at that point.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that follows a bit of a trend on the consumer side, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, whether it's your phone or your car, uh, you're getting upgrades, Pushed to you, and more and more of the money is being made off of, you know, uh, n- not replacing that stuff as frequently, but using it in different ways. Uh, right? You know, Apple Apple Services model um, is a uh, is what thirty percent of the revenue right now. Yeah, Deer's saying they expect to make ten percent of of the revenues off software and down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, so why wouldn't that follow that same pattern for sure? Yeah.
0: And uh, you know, if you can buy something for. And you know, I'm just hypothetical numbers here, just throwing stuff out. But if you can throw, you know, two hundred twenty-five or three hundred thousand dollars against the machine that you have, and and not spend six or seven hundred thousand dollars to get the exact new, new, everything's brand new. If I'm a, you know, you start like like I talked about earlier, you know, you're looking for efficiencies, you're looking for cost savings, you're looking for everything. If I can increase my efficiency and not increase my costs, that that's a win. You know what I mean? So th- those things all start coming into play
1: gonna get real tough to manage your business off Excel. Yeah, <laughs>
0: like, it really like, is. Yeah. I,
1: I look at I look at some of the dealer conferences and I see how many people have got an Excel sheet in front of them. And one of the things that you know the core takeaway from from that is as all this complexity is coming in, it's gonna get harder and harder uh to do things the old way for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah and I think that's where the data is, is. I mean, I think whoever can crack the nut first and be really into predictive analytics and understanding what predictive analytics look like and how to recognize, I mean, you can have all this data and if you don't Mm -hmm. understand trend lines and and recognize the trend lines, um, you really just have a giant bunch of numbers and some graphs and whatever. But if you, if you can understand that and see those things and recognize the trend lines of customers and the trend lines of technology and the trend lines of, Mm -hmm. of what this looks like, I mean, I think laptops are a great example of that. I mean, I buy a new laptop every three years because the one I have is out of warranty. But I'm getting three times a laptop for just about the same amount of money that I spent three years ago. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's not, it's not a big difference. You know, I I think that model will eventually go into equipment, whether it's construction equipment, ag equipment, the truck industry, whatever it is, because you know, you're going to have that ability to do that. And, you know, they've had those in the construction side, they've had, you know, frame, frame off overhauls, you know, where they ship everything down the frame, sandblast the frame, paint it, and put every single component back brand new. And you've got to, you know, you take your, your stories of, you know, scrapers out there that have got 50 or 60 or 70,000 hours on them type of deal. And they've, you know, been running them for 40 years because they just keep rebuilding them. But I think it's different when you start talking about the technology side of it because i can take off the the wet system and the boom system off of a sprayer and put a whole brand new one on there and just tie it into the canvas system update a few things there and update some software and i, I got to list technology on a on a 15 year old platform type thing
1: so yeah i mean i i think the the application of predictive is pretty significant it should be able to um uh it should be able to help in a lot of different areas of the business, whether it's predicting who's, who's likely to do those, those rebuilds uh, mm-hmm. or predicting who's likely to buy, you know um, we launched our predictive stuff um, in pro in platform earlier this year. And we learned so much about it. I mean, it, it's, it was uh, one of my goals when I, when I first came to, you know, this gig was to bring more predictive stuff in there. I've uh, there's a developer I've worked with for 20 years and, He's really into machine learning, and you know we've done a, a heck of a lot with it. I, th- I think one of the core things is uh, one of the challenges I think we folks have is like, hey, how does it work, and what can you do? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'd offer like a couple of things about like demystifying predictive for like predicting who's likely to buy simplest stuff, and you already touch on it, right? How recently did someone purchase? How frequently do they purchase? And mm-hmm. what what's the Dollar value of the, of their purchases. You know, do they right? Are they bigger or smaller? At a really simple level, that's really what what we try to remodel the data towards is sure. to say, okay, how many how many purchases six years ago, five years ago, or you know, and try to look and see um, for patterns between their fleet size, uh, their purchase frequency, the size of stuff that they're actually purchasing. And it's amazing how accurate that stuff can get. Um, yeah. On the one of the things that I think people don't necessarily realize is ahead of John Womack and the guides editors, we have a predictive model that's actually looking at our sold reports and pushing out like a first version of the guide's values before they go in and and edit them and look at them and and doing things along those lines. So we're using machine learning and predictive in the guide's uh uh issue itself because we're you know we're trying to put a value out on on the on next quarter and not on the last 12 months. Um so both of those things have been really transformative in terms of, you know, accuracy of of the guide's values but also in terms of being able to help people identifying buyers for hard to move equipment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've been saying this for a while that if you're a dealership and you can, and you can harness predictive and analytics and really dive into that and really spend some time in it. Cause it's a dedicated position. It's not something you do on Mondays, right? It's, yep. it's something you do every, every day, all day long um, of, of the work week. And, and, and then even some beyond that, because it's, if you can harness that and really get that and understand where things are going, you know, I'm a firm believer, you know, three, three data points are are a trend line and what's happening in those trend lines are going. And we see it so often in this business where those three trend lines are showing a a direction that we should be headed. And it's the ninth one that we finally make a decision on. Uh, And it's nine months down the road and you could have fixed that problem three months in and, It's just, turn, you know, it's a big ship, you know, you got, it takes a long time to turn it, to get it around. But by the time you've got it turned, man, you could have made so much. Still not saying that you're not going to lose money still, because you still will when markets turn. But you can lose so much less, you know, if if you do it early, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think that the the marriage of those two things, right, making decisions on prices sooner Mm -hmm. and being able to find the buyers quicker. Yep. All right you know, are they the yin and yang of being really successful regardless of, uh, where the market turns? Um, you know, the EDA stuff, I think, uh, top 10% of our predictions of like our high of like high likelihood to buy is our top, mm-hmm. top 10%, uh, about 35% of those people actually go, you know, um, are, are a hit. Right. Um,
0: that's a big number and, if you uh, think about. It. I mean, that's a big number. If 35 out of 100 people that you identify to go in and buy something and you know that's going to happen. That is that's a that's a big number. When you start thinking about that.
1: And when you th- start thinking about relationship management, sure. service, yep. you know, uh one of the cool things about it is it doesn't just predict large volume buyers, right? Yep. We can get you down to to the smaller guys that, that are in that sure. model as well and gives you an opportunity to get in and start building a relationship because honestly, these guys don't make a decision like, Oh, I'm going to buy something tomorrow. They're planning that out. So you need to be in front of them a a little bit ahead of that and build up that relationship. And the person who talks to them first usually has the inside track. So I think like 75% of the time, the, the first salesperson that's talking to someone, um, gets the deal.
0: Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that's one of the, that's, you know, data, 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 data. And People get tired of me talking about data, but data is, is uh, it will make more. Um, it will make more. Whatever investment you make in, in, in getting that data and rendering that data, whatever, whatever investment that is that you make, I guarantee that you get it at a minimum, at a very minimum, a 10 X return on your, on your investment. Assuming that you've had to follow what that data says. And listen, even if it's, even if it's in a down market, you know, and you're well, I lost a hundred thousand dollars this month because of bubble. well, you lost a hundred thousand this month, not two hundred fifty thousand because you waited nine months, and you're the you're the last one selling out of the trough, and not the first one, right? So I mean, those all are huge, huge indicators. I mean, if if you could use that data to go out and predict what the tractor market was going to do at the beginning of twenty two, and you went out and bought all the tractors, and you're sitting on, you know, hundred and fifty or two hundred. Row crop tractors going into this right now. Could you imagine how much, how easy it would be for you to be profitable right now? I mean, it would be one of those things because not only that, you're you have 250 tractors now that you're trading inside your AOR. That's just a constant churn for all your customers. Like I don't know what everyone's talking about. This we've got plenty of tractors to go get. You know, what I mean, that's a big deal, big big deal.
1: One of the things we're working on is getting EDA's data more frequent so you can see that. So, are you quoting stuff and losing business more frequently? Yeah. So we're trying to give you a kind of a, an indicator or a signal. Um, we actually just spent a, a bunch of money really transforming the the process. If you've ever come, you know, we sometimes have uh, customers come and check our data production process out. I think uh, for those, those who don't know, we have about a 35 person team, 37 person team here in Charlotte that produce the data and everything gets printed out right now. Mm-hmm. And so we've done a couple of things post COVID. First, we, we augmented the team. And the second is we're going through a complete digitization of the process with the whole goal being to get our data as current as possible. Um, now the second, we're still dependent upon the secretaries of state, but, um, our, our data, uh, I think we knocked 30 days of recency off in the past year of getting the UCC data more recent. I, we'd like to get it under 30 days. So um that's not going to be possible in every single state but one of the ways that you could check to see hey should you be dropping prices are you losing deals to other people who have yeah and we're trying to get um all these investments that we're making in the data production process we're really trying to get to the point where we can start giving you you know the guides might be giving you an early warning indicator but uh you know EDA can then make you more confident about that sooner rather than um you know, having to wait until, until it's real bad.
0: Yep. And, you know, something we, from a pricing perspective, we should talk about too, is, you know, you look at how things are priced and where things are going. The the easiest, in my opinion, I mean, when and, and you look at the big picture and the grand spectrum of everything, I mean, to me, auctioned out is one of the single most important data points out there because it gives you that early indicator as what's happened in the marketplace, right? So if you're looking at, if you're looking at a downturn in the marketplace shows up first in the, in the auction market and, and it slowly trickles down and, you know, God love them. The first thing that gets its head ripped off and kicked around as a soccer balls combines, and then everything else kind of falls in behind it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's the uh, watching those trend lines happen. And then watching what happens in the retail marketplace too, is, is where those trend lines start to develop and how, what's the differentiation between retail price versus auction value and all those different things that come into play. Talk about that a little bit and how you guys are looking at that data um, via your guidebooks and EDA.
1: Yeah. So I think uh, two things. First off, uh, auction data, we, we, we look at it a lot. There are some real big hygiene problems with it. So you've got to be very, very careful about how you use auction data. Um, you know, to, to build your trend lines, you know, we get combines. If you, if you put our data, our new date, new combine data next to AEM's new data, we have between an 85 and 95% capture rate on combines depending upon the year. So hold on, um, a, second.
0: Hold on a second. Explain what that
1: means. So that, that means uh, when we look at new UCC filings, mm-hmm. um, and the combines that we're able to get out of them are our counts of new sales within a year, um, are, uh, depending upon the year 85 to 95% of what AEM is reporting. So those folks that are, you know, the ones that we're not getting are people who have a blanket lien or, or, you know, using a a line of credit. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a cash buyer for, 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 some of that stuff, but I doubt it. um, but they're you know they're not financing that individual combine specifically mm-hmm. as collateral. So because our capture rate is good, we see the serial number and uh on a lot of combines. So we know what the what year of manufacture it is. The second time we see that about 18% of the time that combine has gone from being, you know, x old to being x minus 1 uh, old or X minus two old. Um, and so sometimes, uh, the year of manufacture is inaccurate at auctions. Mm -hmm. Um, and that has a really significant impact on perceived price. And so (laughs) one of the things that we don't know what to do in that situation, we throw that data out by the way, um, because we're not sure like, Hey, did the, did somebody have a serial number book? You know, we, we, uh, we also have, where the heck is it? Quick plug, and I can't do it because I got my, here, here we go. The, the Iron Guide serial number book also have that. So uh, were they carrying one of those at the auction and thinking that it's the correct mirror manufacturer, or were they thinking that it was a younger piece of equipment? So that's, that's issue number one. Uh, issue number two is a lot of the auction data doesn't have have uh, meter reads on it. But I do think you're right that stuff shows up there pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um. The third issue, though, is the number of observations. So when you talk about, like, making a decision after the third data point versus the ninth data point, one of the reasons, uh, one of the things that that we do have going for us on the is that we have both auction data and the sold reports. And sold reports, there are a lot more of them than there are auction results. Um, so more in ag, especially more stuff goes through the retail channel. Um, so, or the dealer channel, excuse me. Um, and so we're able to give you that, some of those points a little bit quicker by marrying those two things together. Uh, iron guides pro and plus both have the ability to look at comparable sales, um, and they're updated nightly. So every single night we're, we're putting new data up there. So when you're running a, an appraisal, you have the ability to go search through both, uh, through auction results through sold reports and through advertised price to actually look at comparable equipment that has gone through our cleansing process in terms of being able to, whether we reject it or keep it. And so the goal is to try and create efficiency for you guys on that front so that you're not sitting there trying to figure out is it accurate or not, or, you know, pulling that data from three different sources. We want to put it all in the same place. And, you know, uh, our vision is to to hopefully bring in your own your own sold reports down the road as well
0: right yep and i think like that's a good point you made um i have found those before in auction data when you're digging through there that because i I do everything via serial number you know especially if it's a you know it's a deer thing so i work for a deer dealer so you can go through there and pull the serial numbers yeah. up and see specs and everything like that and and go through those those different things and and it makes <clears throat> i have found those before where there are some discrepancies in in year and in those kind of things versus what's there so Definitely something to pay attention to, but again, that's that's that goes back to my earlier statement about data. Is that you have to understand the data that you're looking at, and you have to understand what it is that you're getting. Um, if you have 50 percent of your data is is bad, then you got you're going to have bad results. You know, so it's you got to you got to measure and and cleanse what you what you need to and what you don't need. To. And, and the same thing too. You know, if I'm comparing a four wheel drive combine to a two wheel drive combine, um, it. They're just different. are different aspects in the market based on where it's selling at. You know, if you're out here where I'm at, four wheel drive combines don't. No one really wants them because it's you know doesn't rain, so it doesn't really get muddy, right? So, right. you no. Know, back home in you know yeah. south, south Central Kansas, where I'm from, you know, it's four wheel drive is a bigger deal. They want they want to see that. Um, You start moving into the corn, you know, true corn about those kind of things. You start to see more four wheel drive machines pop up where two wheel drives aren't worthless, but they're not. They don't have the same return on investment that you would see in and from when it was new right i mean you're you're looking at the the differentiation there so all those things come into play so definitely uh, definitely good points there well we've been going for a little bit here prescott um any final thoughts you want to throw out there before before we shut it down
1: yeah i mean i I think no matter where the market moves Mm -hmm. you know what we're ultimately saying is data can really help you be in control of what the market is. Yes, Ken. Um I will tell you, You know, we as a data company, we use our own data. Through COVID, when everybody else in the media and advertising and, and market intelligence uh, business was uh, going through challenges, we were still able to grow uh, because we were able to find the safe spots in the market. And having used our data to be able to navigate one of those challenges, one of the core things that our whole team is really excited to do is to help dealers be able to do the same thing. So if the supply chain market is going to become harder, you know, that's, uh, we're able to help on that. And the ways in which we can help are we can help people find equipment. Uh, we're having really great success um, with with camp- digital campaigns around that. We can help people see the most recent comparable data in the market and look at transactions that are updated nightly. Uh, EDA can help people find areas of opportunity um we can help people develop crm driven sales processes and then finally workforce development where uh not not my division but our talent intelligence division um does a lot of diesel tech recruiting and so one of the ways that we just want to partner with dealers is we want to try and help on each aspect of the business whether you're whether it's parts service new sales or or use sales we really want to be as relevant as possible and empower dealers to take control of their business and and create and outperform the market
0: right on okay well prescott folks want to reach out to you get more information about what you're doing what's the best way to do that
1: uh randallreilly.com prescott travels at RandallRiley.com is my email uh P. Shabbles on Twitter or just Google me on the LinkedIn. You can just Google me too. I mean, okay. there's really only one Prescott Shabbles out there. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it, it it works for me.
0: Right on. <laughs> right on. Makes it simple, huh? Right on, man. Well, uh, I am... Casey,
1: thank you so much. This was great. Yeah,
0: fun. no, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Thanks a lot.
1: All right. Thanks, right I'm,
0: See you. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and the ever so cleverly named Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel for the video version of this podcast here. So any more information about what's happened with Moving Iron Podcast, go to movingironllc.com. You can find all the information there about anything Moving Iron related. You can also go to uh, the Moving Iron Summit page and see the information for the 23, 2023 Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, 11th through the 13th. And uh, Prescott was there last year with his gang. So, uh,
1: Great event. Don't miss it
0: right on. So I hope to see you guys there again. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Prescott Travels. Let's go move some iron folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com.
1: again through the years you'll find us here moving higher